With you another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz with you. It's Michigan week as the Wolverines take on the Hawkeyes. Biz, a win over Middle Tennessee last week. We had Big Ten basketball media day. A lot going on in the world of Hawkeyes and certainly plenty to get into here this week. Glad to see the Hawks were able to uh, take care of business without me uh, being in Kinnick Stadium. Clearly, uh, that was all we expected and more. I'm not sure we need to spend more than about 30 seconds talking about that game. That was a uh, no injuries, everybody healthy and uh, ready to roll for uh, the big one this week. Ran the football incredibly well as you'd anticipate against Middle Tennessee. The passing game was clicking. Defensively, they played even better than I anticipated. It appears that all systems are going. This week it is Michigan. Biz, uh, certainly a matchup that throughout the years, you know, we've talked about Ohio State and and that program, what they've been, the win a couple of years ago, how great that was because Iowa hasn't had much success. But for me, the Michigan rivalry, the Michigan matchup throughout the years, it feels like the most important of the big dogs when Iowa gets to face them. Well, it's definitely uh, had its share of uh, fun wins and heartbreaking losses. And uh, we'll dig into that in a little bit here with some stat boy info. But uh, yeah, before we get into that, uh, we're, we're already at the, uh, the one-third mark for the year, Trent, and, I, and I'm not sure the Hawks can, can play any better than they have for, through, through four games. It's been a, a pretty impressive start for the Hawks. It really has. You, you go through and you look at this team and what they were and the anticipation coming into the year. You know, throughout the summer when we talked a couple of different times, that was one thing that I know I brought up is, you know, if everything breaks right, if the wide receivers take that step forward, if the run game looks like it's made improvements, and they can find enough defensively. This team has a chance to be a really good team, even with the difficult schedule, or as difficult as it looks, certainly during uh, the spring and summer times. And here we are, and for the most part, I think every single question has been answered to this point from this football team. Well, the numbers are, are absurd. I mean, you look at them, I mean, on the offensive standpoint, we've had one turnover, and that was a... Uh ridiculous uh, pitch by our, our fullback. So we're, we're best in the nation in, in turnovers. We're 100% in the red zone, which is obviously tied for best in the nation. Uh, we've had the least amount of tackles for loss of any offense in the nation. We're second lowest in penalties, and we're third best in time of possession. So you really can't ask for much more from an offensive standpoint. I mean, and across the board, I mean, Nate Stanley's looked about as good as you can expect. Our, our stable of running backs have all looked very good. And as we've talked about in the past, this is as, as many offensive weapons from the wide receiver core as, as you can ever remember for an Iowa team. And then you flip to the other side of the ball, the defense is what, what you come to expect with, with Iowa defenses and, and Phil Parker type defenses. Just uh, steady as can be. You know, we're thir- third in points allowed, fifth in yards allowed, uh, fourth best in, in big plays or, or 10 yard plays or more. Uh, you know, just exactly what you'd expect, which. Given the circumstances and given the fact that we've had a, a ton of injuries in the secondary, uh, it's not fair to Phil Parker because he just kind of come to expect that Iowa defense is going to be really good every year. But what he's done this year is uh, 
impressive yet again. And then you flip the special teams, and the punter and the kicker have both been uh, certainly better than expected. So across the board, like I said, I'm not sure you can play much better than we have for four games. It certainly appears that way. Everything is clicking right now. I guess if we wanted to nitpick, there are a couple of things that you could look at. I mentioned before about the defensive end position and, and what we've seen, not only in terms of production, but also building depth there. I still think that's one of the bigger concerns going forward with this team. The secondary has been very depleted, but it's hard to argue, like you said, a team that's third in points allowed in the country and fifth in yardage allowed to this point in the season about anything that's happening there. But overall, I, I can't find a whole lot. What would it be offensively? What would be the one thing that you would look at and say is the negative with the offense to this point? Lack of tight end production. I mean, there just hasn't been anything there for, for tight end. Um, I think we all knew there was going to be a clear drop from last year, but we've kind of uh, just given up on that position from a uh, from a passing standpoint, which it hasn't hurt us to this point, but uh, it would be nice if we could get some production out of that, that position from a pass-catching standpoint. Um, you, you hit the nail right on the head, Trent. I mean, nitpicking is, is what you're doing here when you're, when you're talking about concerns for this team. And I, I thought of five, I, I guess, concerns or potential concerns. You mentioned two, the pass rush or for lack thereof and the injuries in the secondary. My third one was the limited production for the tight ends. In the special teams area, punt returning has really been the only area that I think has been a, a, a negative. And then from the coaching standpoint, there's been some poor clock management. Mm -hmm. And that's really it. I mean, mean, maybe I missed them one or two, but uh, even when you nitpick, those are really the only five areas you can say, okay, let's let's clean up those areas. So, uh, you know, that's pretty pretty impressive, especially in in today's day and age when uh, people can find things to nitpick about about anything. You know, even the uh, most uh, pessimistic Hawkeye fans, I think uh, have to be impressed in the first four weeks. There's no doubt. Now it's going to be a big step up in competition these next couple of weeks. Michigan on the road, followed by Penn State coming in the week after that. Biz, uh, this Michigan team, the loss that they had to Wisconsin, I know opened a lot of people's eyes. Personally, I kind of blew the Army loss off as funky team. This is the same Army program a year ago that took Oklahoma to the brink down in Norman. I just didn't see it as that big of a, a deal, but we saw the following week maybe it was much bigger than we anticipated. You look at Michigan, they got dudes, you know, Donovan People-Jones on the outside. I mean, that, that's a wide receiver that everybody in the country would love to have a guy like that. He's rounding into form. They got All-Americans out along the offensive line, including John Runyon Jr., who's coming back off an injury and, and starting to settle in after getting his first appearance against the Badgers a couple of weeks ago. Shea Patterson was one of those dark horse candidates for the Heisman coming into the year and he has fallen short of that at this point. But you know what? They're going to be defensively. They're going to have dudes over there. This is a talented Michigan team. I just don't know how good of a Michigan team it is. Well, they certainly haven't been very good through four weeks. Um, you know, I, I didn't watch a second of the Rutgers game, but, uh, you know, obviously they they did what you're supposed to do to Rutgers, which is uh, destroy them, which, which we did as well. But, uh you know, they, they've certainly the transition to this new offensive coordinator seems to have been bumpy. And I mean, I think they lost what eight defensive starters. I mean, that that no matter how much talent you have, when you lose seven or eight defensive starters, there's going to be a transition period. And I think you're uh, you're seeing that through the first you know first quarter of the season for them. Let's let's hope that transition period uh, continues for another week and they don't uh, they don't hit their groove this weekend. 
That is the hope, no doubt about it. You know, I mentioned uh, the wide receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones. It's not just him, though. Nico Collins, Ronnie Bell, both those guys really good. Tariq Black, they have depth at that position. There's a number of guys they can go. They're excited about a couple of new player, young players that are starting to get some reps, too. And, and I guess that's the biggest concern here is finally it all starts clicking as they understand what Gaddis is trying to do offensively more and more, the new offensive coordinator, going from the power spread look that they did before, working in space that it starts clicking. They're working into the season. It's a month into it now, and finally they start to figure it out here against a depleted Iowa secondary. That's got to be the biggest concern, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, they really struggled to run the ball. and I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball consistently on us. So, I mean, I think obviously that is the concern is that they get loose. And, you know, we saw against the Iowa State game, I mean, the two huge plays, the secondary is uh, susceptible to some breakdowns on the back end. And, you know, I think if we can avoid those type of big breakdowns, I think Shea Patterson's a quarterback that if you uh, – you give him enough rope, he'll, uh, he'll hang himself. He'll make some mistakes. So, uh, you know, if we can avoid the big, big plays, I think we'll be okay. So, but, but before we get too deep into the uh, analysis for this week, Trent, because uh, I think we can go on on that for a while. Let, let's uh, let's break down kind of the the history of, of the Iowa Michigan uh, series. You, re- you ready to? Uh, you ready to get some stat boy info in, in for this week? There's some fond memories. There's some frustrating losses in there, but let's go into it. Iowa versus Michigan. Well, and just off the top here, Trent, we, we could talk about this for an hour if you wanted to, because stat boy uh, went deep into the uh, the newspapers.com archives to find some a lot of information. So I, I tried to narrow it down to just the uh, the general overview. So off the top here. The Fry and Ferentz era is what we're talking about. Iowa is 11-16-1 against Michigan since, since Fry started. 7-5 and five under Ferentz. Uh, we've generally done well against the spread against them, 14-11-3. And, and as most people know, we have won five out of the last six. Um, but when you break down the 11 wins that we've had against them, this probably doesn't come as a shock, Trent, but it's pretty clear when you beat Michigan – really good things happen those years. I mean, because generally when you're beating Michigan, it means you've got a pretty good football team. And that's been the, the case for for uh, all 11 teams that have beat them over the last 40 years. All 11, good things happen. All right, let's dive in. So the 11 wins, all of them, all 11 went on to win eight wins or more. Um, all three Rose Bowls under Hayden Fry, those seasons involved wins against Michigan. Both of the Orange Bowls under Ferentz involved uh, wins against Michigan. Uh, as we know, the Rose Bowl under Ferentz in 2015, we didn't play Michigan. So in the big years that we've had over the last 30, 40 years, pretty much all involved uh, wins against Michigan. So when you dig into to ranked versus ranked matchups, again, Iowa's done pretty well. We're 5-4-1 and one when Iowa and Michigan have both been ranked. But the interesting thing, Trent, can you remember the last time Iowa and Michigan played each other when both teams were ranked? You have to go back to 2005? A little farther back than that, even. 2003. 2003, so it's okay. Been, it's been 16 years, and that just shows both programs have had their uh, their ups and downs over the last 15 years. They've had some down periods. We've had some down periods. There haven't been a lot of times, and both teams have been, uh, been on the uptick. But that 2003 game, if you remember uh, – one of my all-time favorites. Uh, it was 
the Ramon Ochoa game, the catch in the corner of the end zone where we uh, beat them at Kinnick. Uh, one of the loudest, or if not the loudest ever for Kinnick Stadium. Uh, but that game, one of, not sure that game even makes the uh, top five wins against Michigan over the last 40 years. So if you had to break down the top five wins over the last 40, uh, which ones come to mind for you, Trent? Well, number one will always have a soft place in my heart because it was my first big road trip outside of going to Minnesota or Wisconsin, somewhere close. And it was 2002, the road trip up to Ann Arbor, watching just the destruction of Michigan in the second half of the game. It was tight at the half. David Bradley made a mistake with the punt. But the way Iowa just ran away from them, it was a dominating performance out of Jermel Lewis running the football and catching the ball on a little uh, slip screen that they had there. The shuffle pass inside and a beautiful touchdown going into the end zone. That will always be 2002, I think, number one for me. Well, and yes, it might be number one in your heart. And first off, that game was never tied. It was 10 to 9. I said I tight, tight. 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 So, but, uh, yeah, and I don't know if you've read it yet. It just got posted this morning. But Lice Cow has a, uh, a really, really good article about that 2002 game. And we'll get into it a little more. Um, about some of the parallels between that game and uh, and Saturday's game. That game, number one in your heart, but clearly not number one in the record books. There's, there's an obvious number one Iowa-Michigan game in the record books, and that would be the uh, one versus two in 85. Sure. So sure. That, that's clearly number one. Um, 30, the, the stomping in 2002 clearly makes the, uh, the top five. Any other games jump out. There's three others, I think, that, are, that clearly make the top five, in, in my mind at least. 2003, the Ramon Ochoa game, 02-85. All right, what else is on the list here? Well, you got to go back just a couple years ago, the last two times uh, times these two teams played with the Keith Duncan game winner. Yep, I put that in the top five as well, the Keith Duncan game winner. Like I said, the Ramon Ochoa game, I think, got nudged out by two games in the Hayden Fry era. Okay. Uh, first one, the 1981 game, which we will break down here in a little bit, Trent, because, as you know, Stat Boy and my love for Hayden Fry and some of his quotes. There are some great ones from a nine to seven uh, victory in 1981. So that's the fourth one. Uh, went on to the first Rose Bowl um, in, in 20 some years after that. And then the other Hayden Fry game, you have a 24 to 23 victory in 1990 uh, at the Big House that, that led to a, uh, a, a another Rose Bowl trip that year as well. So. Uh, those, to me, are the top five. You could debate the Achoa game getting in there, but to me, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing how many, uh, like you said earlier, I mean, memorable games and, and unbelievable games have been against Michigan over the years. And then on the flip side, there's been a few true heartbreakers as well. Um, four of them uh, that came to mind as well. Two in the 80s, uh, a heartbreaking 16-13 loss, and then a 20-17 loss in, um, in 83 and 86. Um, and then two more recent ones. Can you remember the two I'm thinking of? One in the 90s and one uh, in the uh, the turn of the century. You're talking about heartbreakers. Well, it'd have to be the 97 game. Uh, back then, Stat Boy was a Michigan fan. I called him at halftime as I was up, see how he was doing. And uh, the other one, 2001, Marquise Walker in the end zone? I didn't put that one in there, but I put 97 and then the, the – Overtime loss in 2005. The 97 yeah. one, we could have a whole podcast on that if you wanted to. That game was, was truly heartbreaking. A 28-24 loss to a Michigan team that went on and won the, uh, the national title. Um, and then 05, 
Uh, I put it in there just because it was it ended the Kinnick Stadium streak. We hadn't lost a game in Kinnick in four years at that time, and it was a game that we just we handed to them and, and lost twenty three to twenty in overtime. But the old one game could probably fall in there as well. But on both sides, heartbreakers, great wins, um, a lot of them o- over the years. So, so before we we end this trip back, Trent, you ready to go back and talk about the nineteen eighty one game, the first win um, over Michigan in, in a long, long time? You're going to have to help me out here. The memory bank not full as I was uh, an infant at the time. Sure. 9-7 to seven win. This was uh, Hayden's first win against, uh, against Bo. Going into that game, it looked pretty hopeless. Michigan had won nine straight against us, and we had not won in the big house since the, uh, the Rose Bowl teams in the 1950s. Uh, so some great information from Statboy here. First, he sent me an article talking about how angry everyone in Iowa was well, it's kind of ironic given the uh, direct TV situation currently, but how angry back in 1981 everyone was that the game wasn't on TV at all in 1981 um, because ABC made the decision. Back in 1981, ABC could only show teams twice a year. Hmm. So they'd already shown a Michigan game earlier in the year, and they obviously were saving their second one for the Michigan-Ohio State game at the end of the year. So they uh, – they chose to pass on showing the Iowa-Michigan game. Um, there's some discussions in the, uh, in the article that you can find it on closed-circuit TV in Iowa, whatever the <laughs> heck that was. But the uh, game wasn't on TV. But the good news, Trent, in the article, you could watch reruns of the game three times that week starting at midnight on Sunday on a brand-new network called ESPN. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, ESPN was showing reruns. Of, uh, of games that back then. Uh, but you couldn't watch it live, but uh, we pulled off a 9-7 to win, uh, three field goals, uh, a defensive slugfest, but a couple phenomenal uh, quotes in the, in the article uh, about just how, uh, how obnoxious Hayden Fry can be. So you ready for a couple good quotes? Of course. Anytime we get some Hayden in here, it's good. So the, the best one, after the game, all of the press corps had to wait for the team because you could hear them in the locker room singing over and over, who's afraid of the big bad wolf, big bad wolf, big bad wolf, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? It sure as bleep ain't Iowa. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. But then once Hayden finally gets done singing, comes out and talks to everyone, he commented that, that he made a bunch of terrible, he personally made a bunch of terrible decisions during the game. And his quote was, I don't want to hurt Michigan's feelings, but we can play way better. I guess it shows we can follow up a bit and still beat the biggies. <laughs> you got to love Hayden and his uh, arrogance. He wasn't afraid to, uh, to fire up a few people, including a uh, Bo Schimbuckler. So uh, that was the, uh, the first of the wins. Let's hope uh, this Saturday will be, uh, the twelfth that we can add to the fried Ferenceros. So you're, you're ready to, to to come back to a present day and talk about the game this weekend. All right, let's dig a little bit deeper in here and uh, take a look at this matchup. We we touched on it at the top. So what else are you looking at? What else are you looking with this game? Uh, before we get into it, I just want to say I am nervous as hell for this game. This is a game that uh, it's rare to say this, but I think we both agree. We are the better football team than Michigan. Yes. It's not something you can say all that often. Um, we may not be the better team than them by the end of the year, but right now we are the better football team than Michigan, which that just scares the hell out of me to think that. Uh, you know, My analysis 
John, look, do you ever listen to the uh, Stanford Steve and the Bayer uh, I podcast? Do. Yep, yep, I listen to those guys. Have you listened to the uh, the new one for this week? Yes, yeah, and uh, the ones on each side, I think Stanford Steve's on the, I can't remember who was on who, but no. the, the person that took Michigan the, of the two basically said, it just, it's Michigan, and right? I mean, that is kind of the, the gist of it. Well, I mean, they their analysis, I think, is pretty pretty perfect. Stanford Steve is the one that uh, is on Iowa's side, and his analysis is exactly what you and I have talked about. He went through and said Iowa has better line play, better offensive line, better defensive play, has better quarterback play, has executed better, has been more fundamentally sound, has less turnovers, has less penalties, just across the board, better football team. But then the Bear, <laughs> his quote, he, he says it a lot, that Iowa is an underdog with fleas. And what he means by that is there's no reason that Iowa should be an underdog here. There's no reason we should be plus three and a half or plus four or whatever it is. Um, and, and you and I talk about it a lot. This is a, a Vegas nose game. Mm-hmm. Vegas, Vegas sees something here and, and realizes – Despite all of the uh, evidence to the contrary, they put Michigan favored by three and a half. And his analysis is pretty simple. This line stinks, so run with it. So uh, he basically just said there has to be a reason. And then he talked about the fact that Iowa has not done very well when slight underdogs. In fact, we have lost seven in a row when we have been underdogs by five points or less. So uh, games where we've been slight underdogs, we haven't done great. So uh, – this is his underdog with squeeze game, and that's a great way to, to describe it because his analysis and their analysis is right on. I think we're the better team. Mm-hmm. I think we should win this football game, but we are due to kind of come back to earth as far as some of the areas we talked about earlier. We're due to make some mistakes. We're due for a, uh, some turnovers, some penalties, some bad luck, and, and that, that's what scares the hell out of me. I just Not often can you walk into – to the big house thinking we're the better team. And if we just play mistake-free football, we're going to win. But that's, to me, that's my analysis in a nutshell. We go in, we play mistake-free football, we beat them. I I can't agree with you anymore. I think that's spot on. I I think you absolutely nailed it. And and Biz, you you mentioned the point spread, which currently sits at three and a half years. We record on Thursday afternoon. This thing opened, the first shot that opened at Circa, who is now putting the opening lines in Vegas, at seven. This summer, it was... 13 and a half, 14 out in Nevada. It was a huge, huge number. And even then, Vegas saw something to open that number at seven or six and a half and move its way down. And because that is what's happening, you have both sharps and public. I talked to my guy out in the desert. He said they're getting it two ways. They're getting it all on Iowa. And until they finally got down for them, it was down to three. That's when they finally saw some buyback the other way with Michigan. It seems like everybody is on Iowa Biz, when that's the case, uh, it's an adage I've lived for for a long time in gambling. When everybody's going one way, you go the other. Yeah, and that, that was the Bears' analysis pretty much. I mean, he, he didn't have any, any stats to back it up. It was just the, this line stinks. And, you know, generally if that's the case, you, uh, you go the other way. So, you know, and, and it scares me because we are due to make some mistakes. I mean, you look at the Wisconsin game last year, we shot ourselves in the, own, uh, in the foot. Penn State game. We shot ourselves in the foot, um, and like I said, we played pretty much mistake-free football through four games, and you know that that stuff tends to kind of uh, balance itself out over the the course of a year. And on the flip side, Michigan 
I saw that last year they lost a total of, I think, two or three fumbles the entire year. And this year they lost seven in the first three games. So uh, I think they're due for some probably some positive luck on their end. Uh, let's just hope that uh, balancing out doesn't happen until uh, down the road. And, it, and it, we, one more week of uh, positive luck on our side. You know, we talked about it, the Iowa State game. You know, everything kind of went our way. Heck, let's, uh, you know. There's certain years where that's been that's been the case for the Hawks, and it certainly seems that way through four games. But you know, we talked about it in the past, Trent. In the end, I think this game comes down to pretty simple, though. Nate Stanley. I mean, can Nate Stanley uh, continue to do what he's done through four weeks, uh, or is he going to have one of the uh, occasional duds he's had? I'm I'm cautiously optimistic we're seeing the uh, the new and improved Nate Stanley this year, but uh, you never know. No. Okay. Right with you there. Uh, I'm looking at a couple of numbers here, finding uh, where the betting public is. This is from offshore. 76% right now of the cash coming in on the Hawkeyes, along with 60% of the bets. That's what I'm finding there. Let's get to the point, Trent. We going to win? No. Everything that you said there, if, if Iowa plays a solid game, if Iowa doesn't turn it over, all these, I think there's so many just, it feels like they're due for a bad game. They're they're due to play bad. I, I guess it's negativity, whatever it may be. I don't have a good feeling. I'm going to say Wolverines 23-17. Well, Trent, uh, I disagree. So I think this team has that it factor. They've got a bit of that swagger and confidence that uh, is pretty rare for Iowa football. And I think it's across the board. I think the coaching staff really likes this team. I think uh, – you know, the offense uh, has got a lot of confidence that we don't often see with Iowa football, and the defense is what it always is. You know, like I said, the Chad Leistikow article um, talks about the 2002 year, and it's eerie, the similarities. I'm not saying we're going to go in there and win 34 to 9, but uh, that article, pretty eerie. 2002, we went in there as the 14th ranked team for a noon kickoff in the big house against a ranked Michigan team. This year, 14th ranked team, noon kickoff against the ranked Michigan team. The, the thing I really loved about his article, it interviewed Brad Banks, and Brad Banks' quotes were, were pretty straightforward. You know, he commented that they knew by that point that they knew they were a good football team and that they knew they were going to go into the big house and win. I mean, obviously it's easy to say those things after the fact, mm-hmm. but, but we, we saw that team. They, they just had a swagger about them, and I think this team's got that same swagger. I, I think uh, – I think this is a special team, Trent, and I think they're going to show it on Saturday. So that might be me with uh, rose-colored glasses, and, and I've I've wavered back and forth. Like I said, started, I'm, I'm still nervous as hell about this game, but I'm also confident. I, I, I'm confident this is a good football team, and, and I'm confident they're going to show it on Saturday. So uh, give me the Hawks uh, 27-17. Well, the good news is you uh, have been a whole lot better than me I went a different route last week in our picks and tried to go on the money lines with some underdogs. I hit one out of the five, but it was the slightest of underdogs. And uh, lost another 275 bucks last week out of our $500 bankroll. Continues to be very, very ugly with me on the season as I am down now. Nearly a grand, nearly, nearly a G, 975 on the season. Even with the loss last week for you, you're still up 150 bucks. Little parlays, a uh, college fund is in danger here, Trent. I'm really excited to see uh, the new, new and creative way you're going to chase your losses this week. You just keep digging deeper instead of, uh, you, know, you know, just going back to the basics and picking, uh, 
picking spreads. Uh, I'm excited to see what kind of random 16 teaser you came up with this week. Oh, well, I, I haven't gone quite as crazy this week. In fact, I'm going back to basics this week, and if this doesn't work, then, yeah, we're, we're going to be – we're going to be going nutty going forward. I got Before we get to that, this is not one of my official picks, but I got. if you're somebody that likes to go with the big, big point spreads, I really like Tulsa this week. SMU is ranked for the first time since the death penalty, since Dickerson and Craig James were out there running with the Pony Express in SMU. Tulsa's not very good, but they can score a little bit here. If you're looking for something deep there, throw them in there with maybe another team or two and maybe you can find a nice price, one that I did is uh, one of my picks this week that we'll get to in a moment and made a 13-to-1 parlay out of it. But, no, not going to do that for the picks. I'm already down nearly a grand. I, I can't get too crazy. Well, so before we get into the picks real quick, we'd be uh, remiss not to mention uh, it's pretty clear that Iowa basketball is a Final Four team this year, correct? I mean, after, yeah. uh, after those comments yesterday, uh, is it too early to book Final Four a ticket? It was disappointing. It was in Minneapolis uh, last year. It's not going to be nearly as close this year, but get on it. Yeah, get on board right now. I, I have laughed and we have joked certainly many times in the past about hyperbolic Fran and his statements about the team and the way he builds them up, and that's fine, and, and we have fun with it. I don't think anybody takes it too seriously. You know, the Jordan Bohannon comparisons to Steph Curry, but he went to a new level, Fran McCaffrey did yesterday, when he compared Jack Dungey. Six foot eleven power forward for the Hawkeyes, Jack Nungy, that dude, to John Stockton. Whoa! Yeah, that was uh, that was quite a stretch. It was quite impressive. The only comparison between those two is if Jack Nungy decides to come out wearing the uh, the short shorts this year. That's the only way those two are uh, should be used in the same sentence together. If they both decide to wear uh, inappropriately short shorts, but yeah, it's an annual friend tradition. The uh, the over overhyping and overselling of his team, but I think you and I agree. There's really only two sure things about this Iowa basketball team: Joe Camp and uh, Luca Garza. Those are the two knowns. Everything else about this team is pretty much an unknown, and that's a lot of unknowns going into a season. So we'll save the rest of analysis for for down the road. But uh, I always enjoy the annual uh, Fran Fran hyperbole. It is intense, and it is uh, maybe gone to a different level here. Going to be a fun basketball season in terms of who they're playing, but I don't know how the wins are going to play out. We'll get to that as we get a little bit closer to the season. Time now for our picks. I mentioned the uh, records, Biz. Not pretty for me. You are up on the year. Our game of the week this week, game day, will be in Florida, Gainesville, as they'll be wearing some beautiful throwback uniforms with the white helmets and the blue tops. They're going to be looking great out there against an Auburn team that is a whole lot better. We make uh, that. That's the one that we have to pick this week. It's my $50 game, just throwing 50 on it. I'm going to go with the underdog, Dick Gators. Liked it a lot more when it was at three, but currently sitting at two and a half. I'll grab the two and a half with the Gators wearing those beautiful unis. Yeah, I think this is going to be a battle of uh, who can get to 21st. That's going to be a low-scoring football game. Uh, so give me, give me the under 48 and a half uh, at, at just for 50 bucks. I don't have a great feel on that game. I feel like I don't have a great feel for pretty much any SEC games, but uh, – under forty eight and a half for the fifty dollar minimum. So, and my my one big bet of the week, Trent. Uh, I'll make it simple and get it out of the way. I've got one for one hundred and fifty bucks. I just told you I've got Iowa winning by ten. If you're going to give me a three and a half points and, and I like a team to win by ten, that's got to be my uh, my big one of the week. So give me the Hawks and, and I'll back it up with one hundred and fifty dollars. One hundred and fifty bucks. Are you going to play it on the money line, Biz? 
Well, I remember, were you part of the uh, the big bet we did for the Orange Bowl? It reminds me a little bit of that. I think we had about 12 of us that went together and did a large money line bet on the Iowa-Georgia Tech game, and I believe that was three and a half as well. And we uh, we debated going back and forth, either betting it safe or doing the money line, and we, we eventually decided uh, nobody wanted to win money for a uh, – a close loss. So we went the money line and we were we were rewarded. So same strategy this week. But, uh, but you talked me into it, Trent. Give me the 150 on the money line. 150 on the money line. Let's see uh, currently as I'm scrolling through the William Hill app and see what price they're uh, handing out right now. I would guess what? Plus 130, something like that would be the number if I can find it. Uh, da, 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 11 o'clock kickoff. Plus 150. Oh, there, there's a real nice price there. Oh, lock it up then, Trent. Give me a plus 150. So, well, well, I, didn't, I didn't intend to do that. You, again, you, you talked me into it. So I've went in 20 minutes from saying I was nervous as hell about this game to locking it up on the money line. So uh, that doesn't seem like a homer pick at all, does it? Not at all. Well, while I'm in the app, I better uh, jump on with you, and I'll, I'll, I'll fire at that one myself. So we got the money line bet with the Hawks plus 150. For biz $150. I have $350 plays this week trying to get back on the right side of things and create some kind of momentum here. Going to start first at 11 a.m. game up in Ames. TCU coming to town. Three and a half is the spread in that one. The Horned Frogs quarterback play hasn't been great. How about this? They fumbled the football 14 times this year. Only lost five of those 14 fumbles. But Iowa State didn't play very well for three quarters last week against Baylor. I think they bounce back. Matt Campbell's teams have been good in October, and I think they bounce back and get the victory. I'm going to lay the three and a half with the clones. Well, Trent, you want the kiss of death? That's one of my three as well. I, I like the clones at three and a half. I just don't think TCU is all that great of a football team, and I continue to think Iowa State's a better football team than they've been through a month. Mm-hmm. Um, give me the clones minus three and a half for slightly less. I'll do it for 100. Going with 100 in that one. All right. Going next to the ACC, good luck trying to figure out this stupid conference. One thing I do know is Pitt isn't very good. They, they played well for short stretches this year. Not a very good football team. Duke, on the other hand, has impressed more than I think uh, many people anticipated. Losing Jones, of course, two Stat Boys Giants. Four and a half the number here. I, I like this one a lot. I don't play many favorites, but I got two this week. Along with Iowa State, I'm going to lay the four in the hook and take Duke over Pitt. I watched Duke Virginia Tech. Did you see... Uh... Duke is kind of embracing the uh, Army-Navy uh, triple option. They randomly run triple option, about one out of every three possessions, and uh, it was kind of fun to watch. They, yeah. They'd come out the shotgun and then come out triple option and go back and forth. You have to kind of prepare for both. So uh, interesting to see. So, so Speaking of teams that are not good, Trent, you mentioned Pitt. Well, the team that's not good, it was kind of a fun story for a couple of weeks with Les Miles, but Kansas is, is back to their usual self. They uh, – <laughs> Got out yarded 625 to 150 at TCU last week. They got to play Oklahoma this week. Oklahoma doesn't mess around with, with teams like this. Uh, 32 points is, is too low. I generally don't like to play these kind of games, but uh, 32 is too low. Oklahoma is going to cover by 32 by half. So uh, give me the Sooners minus 32 uh, going into the, uh, the Hornets' nest that is uh, Lawrence, Kansas. That's seriously only 32? Holy crap. It's actually gone down. It went from 32 and a half to 32. So. What is going on there? So are you putting the rest of your 200 on that one, or you got another? I got one more. That one's 100. So. That one is 100. All right. I got one more pick, another $150 wager. 
I'm going to the Pac-12, going late night. You won't be able to see it unless you have the Pac-12 network. It is UCLA hosting Oregon State. I was hopeful UCLA and Chip Kelly had figured it out after that big comeback against Wazoo a couple of weeks ago. What do they do? They go out, crap the bed, score 17 points against Arizona, and lose to the Wildcats who are playing without Khalil Tate. This week, Oregon State comes in. Who is getting better? It is slow, slow steps there, but this team can score in big-time ways. I mentioned earlier I like on a deep money line pick, throwing a couple of bucks on Tulsa against SMU. I'm actually parlaying this together with this game, Oregon State on the money line. That'll get you 13-1 to a little bit more. Plus, I think it's plus 13.06 is what you get on that money line parlay. But Oregon State, we're just going to go straight up here, grab the point spread and the six points. Love the Beavers this weekend. So your bet is the parlay or the straight up? Just straight up on that one. That That's my double banger extra pick. That doesn't count in our standings. There you go. So, so that way, if you win that one, you can uh, you can claim I'll that you throw it. throw it back in the bankroll. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Right. Well, my, my last pick, Trent, Northwestern and Nebraska. Neither one of these teams are good football teams. They they both struggled, but at least one of them is a a fundamentally sound bad football team. Northwestern uh, will play defense. They will have people in the right positions. Uh, as everybody saw on a national stage last week, Nebraska defensively is just atrocious. Um, so. Northwestern probably won't win this game, but they're getting seven and a half against a uh, fundamentally sound and undisciplined uh, Cornhuskers team. Uh, it's about time for Pat Fitzgerald's team to start playing well because they have to play us in three weeks, and we all know by the time they get to there, they'll be a different football team. So uh, Fitzgerald's teams won't quit. They'll get better. Uh, but give me Northwestern plus seven and a half going to uh, Big Red. All right, so Biz, $500 this week. He's got $100 each on Iowa State, Oklahoma, and Northwestern. $150 on the Hawks on the money line, plus $150. And then $50 on the under where game day will be in Gainesville for Florida Auburn. I'm going to take the Gators myself for $50, bucks 25 And then $150 each on Oregon State, Duke, and Iowa State. We're in agreement on the Cyclone game in the past that has been not good with our selections. We'll see how we do this week. If I go perfect, Biz, I get my head above 500. Get back well, in the green. Uh, there you go. That, that's one way to look at it, Trent. So let's, 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 uh, let's pick some winners this week. And let, let's be honest, we can, we can lose them all. As long as I win the money line bet, uh, we'll be happy. I am right there with you. Got some basketball in, but one thing we haven't got to yet, it's time again for Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. Well, Biz's Beat, Trent, uh, is kind of the topic of the week. The uh, name, image, and likeness discussion that's been going on. And all I'll say about it is that it's about damn time. It's, uh, I think I love that everybody's up in arms about this California law. Uh, I think we all agree that's not going to happen. They're not just going to sit there and wait until 2023 for something to come up. But what that law is going to do is it's finally going to force the NCAA to change in some way or, or, or shape. It's time for them to move into the 21st century and realize that there is millions and millions and millions of dollars out there, and it ain't going to kill them to give a little bit of it to the players. Um, I don't know if you saw the information from Dan Wetzel, but he had some pretty amazing information about the Michigan Athletic Department. And he wasn't picking on Michigan. He just picked them kind of arbitrarily. But eight years ago, in 2011, Michigan had 250 athletic employees, and they made around 73000 per person, we averaged it out. Eight years later, 
they now have 388 employees, and they make $101,000 a year. So you've got $4 million more per year going annually to salaries in the athletic department. In that same eight years, they didn't add a single scholarship, didn't add a single new sport. You've still got sports like softball and wrestling and sports like that that, that half the people don't even get scholarships. Uh, it, it's time to uh, to move into the 21st century. The, the NCAA doesn't want to do it. They'll whine and complain about it. But uh, this law is a great thing because it's going to force some change whether the NCAA likes it or not. So it's about damn time. Yes, it is. Good stuff certainly happening there and for athletes. This is not just football, basketball. Look at Meg Augustuson last year. That run at the end of the season, you know, she would have been able to get $10,000 to be hawking some cars for some dealership there. She was never more marketable than she was during those final couple months of the season. She would have been able to make a little bit of money and go from there and maybe start her, her life off on a positive note. This is a good thing for student-athletes. And overall, I think can be a very good thing. There will be some unintended consequences. There always are. And, and for the negatives out there, for the people that believe – that, oh, boy, this is just going to create this great divide between the haves and the haves-nots. Go back and look at recruiting rankings 30 years ago and today. They're completely the same. Oh, what do you mean, in basketball? Duke and Kentucky are already going to get all the great recruits? They already do. Not much is going to change as it pertains to the structure of college athletics. Well, don't kid ourselves, either. There, there's, there's a haves and have-nots. Uh, how much better can Alabama be than they already are <laughs> right. at this point? Uh, I mean, no matter what we thought, we both love Iowa football, and we both are excited about a team that's one of our better teams in the last 20 years. But I think you and I both know if we make the uh, the playoffs and we play Alabama, we're losing by 28 or more. I mean, it's just it's just a fact. And so for people to jump up and down and pretend that it's going to change that, uh, it ain't going to change a thing. I mean, it's already that way. So. Yeah. And you, know, you talked about Megan Gustis, and there's you know a lot Spencer Lee, people like that. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of niche sports that they would be able to make some money on. My, my son loves to run. We went to the Big Ten uh, championships last year and watched Iowa win it. There was a couple guys on that team, I'm sure, that could could market some things specific to runners and make some money. I mean, across the board, we're not talking about millions of dollars, but I mean, these guys could make five, ten thousand dollars a year on some on some on some small 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 uh, sponsorships, and and that's. Why is that a bad thing? I just don't understand it. So, it, it, change is coming. It, it it won't be the drastic change that the California law is claiming, but it, it, it's coming, and that's a good thing. So, so last thing, Trent, your Twins got a chance. They do. They do have a chance. You know, I am not one of the more optimistic fans in general out there, regardless of what team we're talking about. I don't think they're going to win the series, but they have a chance. They they can mash with as as well as anybody in baseball. The bullpen that had been such a problem throughout the first part of the year really got cleaned up. Trevor May finally figured it all out, a guy that's always had a great right arm. He's been really good. Tyler Duffy added three miles an hour to his fastball. He's suddenly pumping it up there at 96 to go with a great curveball. they got a ton of right-handers that they can throw out there. You're going to have to steal one, maybe win a goofy game, but with the way their bats are, they can compete in this series. The problem, it is the Yankees, and I think every Twins fan Kind of has that same kind of thought. If this was any other team built exact same way on the other side, I think most everybody in Twins uh, fandom would be a lot more confident than they are. Yeah, I think it's pretty simple. Both teams' pitching staffs are mediocre at best. So it's going to come down to which team uh, hits the most home runs. It's going to be a, a home run fest between those two. But uh, I'm not sure it's going to matter, Trent. I think those two teams are playing to see who gets uh, 
pounded by the Astros because they are a uh, a juggernaut uh, and they're the, the one true team that's uh, great on both offense and defense. So my my bold prediction is the Astros uh, win the World Series this year. Oh, that's a bold one. <laughs> really going well, out on the limb. Yeah, pretty crazy. I know. I uh, made a bet a couple of weeks ago on the Rays to win the American League at twenty to one. So step one of three down in that one. Not overly confident that's going to come in in cash. Can you name five raised players? New. <laughs> they're, they're, they're still alive, and that's all that matters this time of year. So, Charlie well, Trent, Morton. Uh, six, 16 hours from now, I will be uh, hopping on a plane to hit, head to Ann Arbor. So uh, I haven't been there in uh, 15 years. Let's hope it, it uh, turns out better than I, I was the last time. I was there, the, the Drew Tate... Uh, game where he lost his uh, chuck the helmet and we got we got what pretty good so let's hope it's more like the 2002 trip for you and less like the uh 2004 trip for me we will talk next week bring home a victory biz go on